Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and Seb Stafford-Bloor, editor of TIFO Football. A question, who holds the balance of power in modern football? Is it the manager? Is it the businessman who makes all the money? Or is it the multi-millionaire player? Manchester United will provide the answer. Jose Mourinho, Ed Woodward, Paul Pogba. Who wins, John? 100% the player. I think from the moment that Paul Pogba won the World Cup, the power if it wasn't already with him, shifted even further towards his direction with the immediate accusation is, hang on a minute, why can't Jose Mourinho get the best out of Paul Pogba? How come we've got this world beater in front of our eyes who's just taken the World Cup by storm, had a wonderful game in the final as well, of course, is lifting football's biggest trophy you know, above his head. And we're thinking, what happens to him when he pulls on a Man United shirt? But it's beyond that, isn't it? It's It's... You feel as if there's discontent there. You feel that that sort of kind of little bomb that he dropped in when he was talking to some of the press guys um, after the game on Friday night when he was saying, you know, if I told you the real answer, basically, I'd get myself into even more trouble, get myself fined. Basically, it all comes down to the player because ultimately, even if he's forced to stay um, and not play, uh, and sort of he's restricted, inhibited in, in the Mourinho style, then the next window is all his. Then he can go to Barcelona or next summer he could go further afield as well. And I just think it all comes down to him and the accusations will grow against Mourinho that you've got some sort of agenda against him. Ultimately, Ed Woodward, will, I think, will be the loser simply because, you know, if Man United cannot get the best out of him, then I think that they will lose out on the player and lose out on that opportunity because they have got one of the best players in the world in a Man United shirt and why on earth aren't we seeing the best of him? So it is absolutely Paul Pogba and all the power lays in his hands. Well, that's going to go down really well with Mourinho, isn't it? Yeah, it's a strange one. I mean, I, I mean, Mourinho is often sort of discussed as a, a kind of a, a master tactician in the, in the sort of the social sense as well as the footballing sense. And the moment he put Paul Pogba between himself and Woodward, he caused himself a problem it, because Pogba is, is the, 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 the bauble of, of Woodward's time as chief executive there because the the criticism he's always faced is that the, when the big negotiation comes by 
he's not up to it. He's not someone that can close that deal. And Pogba was a, a major reversal of that narrative. And so now he's got a situation where not only, as John says, is you saying a kind of a Pogba light playing for Manchester United as opposed to the one who played for France, but you've got a player that is 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 publicly showing his displeasure about a situation. It's a it's a very strange situation. It hasn't been managed internally particularly well, I'd say, mm. by Mourinho. Well, he's not just a player, is he? He's, he's, he's an icon of the emoji. game and a human. Well, yeah, yeah. he's hugely successful yeah. in commercial terms. He's key to Manchester United's yeah. social mm -hmm. media strategy. You're not talking about someone who just put, puts his boots on at three o'clock every Saturday, are you? No, and also one of the things with Pogba is he's he's also enormously likable. I know some people have issue with his his sort of the way he carries himself, but that's that's modern living. But he is a he's an articulate, urbane, modern player, and he's surrounded by someone who is perpetually grumpy, who hasn't seemingly <laughs> said raised a smile in about six months, and a chairman who, because of his record post Alex Ferguson, is constantly under pressure. A chief executive, sorry, uh, and, and so yeah, it's it's a it's a very strange way to to treat someone who the fans are always going to side with. Fans love players because they're more permanent than managers. They are now, at least. I know Manchester United is a slight exception to that, historically, but they are the ones. They are, they are, they are the reason fans pay the money to go and see them, uh, go to matches, and that will always be true. Mm, yeah, you were at Old Trafford, John, mm. sort of peering through the jet lag. <laughs> um, what was the mood music like there? Well, I have to say it wasn't entirely convincing. It did feel to me as almost like holding position. Like, we've got the job done here and we got away with beating Leicester 2-1. Leicester played, I thought, quite well. They're added to, to the occasion. I thought there was a bright debut for, for Madison. You know, I thought some of Leicester's players were good. You know, and maybe the positive signs are there. They caused United major problems. But United, it felt as if they got the job done. They did just enough to get over the line um, because a lot of their players were sort of just back from the World Cup and Pogba, obviously, a case in point, had only ported up for you know, pre-season training on the previous Monday. So he'd been in to work for four days and then somehow got himself through, what was it, 84 minutes of the game. And I thought that Pogba, you know, was probably the, the outstanding player on Showed the Showed real leadership, didn't he? Yeah. He really did. And, and you know, you talk about how he carries himself and kind of, I don't know, it can be misplaced sometimes for that sort of an arrogance and the sort of the emoji thing maybe adds to that. But I love the way that he sort of struts around the pitch. And it's just his running style that kind of, you know, he springs off the turf, doesn't he, as he sort of kind of marauds around midfield. But he's the most noticeable presence on the pitch. The, the way he ran up to, to take that penalty exudes a, a, a confidence, which surely is still, you know, sort of obviously burning bright after the World Cup. And he just made all the difference for me. He typifies, you know, the, the old Man United and the Man United with flair and with style and with character that we used to enjoy under Sir Alex Ferguson when they won trophies and they won it with flair. And, and now, you know, it's, it's difficult, I think, for him to be kind of almost pigeonholed and to fit into a very tight Mourinho grasp in, in what he must do tactically. And, and United, I don't think they're basically... I mean, there's a lot more to come from United, in fairness to them, I feel. But I don't think they'll be pushing the title race in any way particularly close because they haven't got enough within. But I do feel it was just enough to get the job done. And unfortunately, that also sort of went into the Mourinho pot. <coughs> it's not particularly attractive to watch, is it? Let's be honest. And they're just getting the job done at the moment. Yeah, I suppose the question is, Seb, is, is just enough enough? And also, you know, let's, let's 
try and play devil's advocate here. Look at Luke Shaw, mm -hmm. scores his first goal. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about him now as a footballer, not, not as a fat boy. Yeah. And uh, is he an example of the benefits of Mourinho's tough love? It's a stretch, Mike. I mean, I'm sure that that is how it will be portrayed in the coming weeks. I think, I, I think Ian Wright said this after the game itself. Uh, there are aspects of Mourinho's behaviour within that relationship which made me a little bit uncomfortable. I was at the game um, against Everton uh, 18 months ago where uh, Mourinho came to the press conference afterwards and said he, the only reason he's played well is because he's on my touchline and he's, it's his body but my brain. I, I, I just, I thought, I remember instinctively feeling that you, you've just thrown a player under the bus there and I, I didn't really like it. I, I, I think Luke Shaw's a super player. Um, I think he's a young guy. I think he's, some criticism of him, of him is legitimate because he's got a lot to learn, particularly without the ball. But I um, no, I don't see it as a benefit. I see it mainly as a kind of his his involvement at the moment is really a consequence of Man United's failure to strengthen his position, and also the other and Ashley Young having been at the World Cup, of course, and not quite being ready to come back at 33, 32. Um, and yeah, I'm not I'm not ready to 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 spin that into a another Jose <laughs> Jose success story yet. Yeah. What about um, you know he was his comments about basically. He was inferring, well, actually, we're all head coaches now, we're not managers. Is that just an acceptance of the reality of modern football? Well, it is, but I also, I felt what he was trying to do there was actually shift the blame, say, look, don't blame me when, this, when the wheels come off, basically, because I'm doing my job as manager, but basically the director of football or the sporting directors of this world should take their blame when they don't get the transfer of business that the manager, i.e. me, wanted. And so I felt that that was a real political statement. Because there's a lot of briefing going on, isn't there? You know, the story is that uh, United are now looking at a sporting director. Yeah. Some would say about time too. Yeah, well, I, I think it is about time as long as that they feel that the accusation is that Ed Woodward isn't up to it. If they feel that Ed Woodward is up to it and, and basically does the job that, or, you know, is doing the job that, that they want. I mean, I, I thought that Fred, for example, played well and I thought he made a difference. I thought he looked bright and he, he's a good signing. He's a signing that basically Man City were very interested in sort of in the spring. And Man United have, have got there and basically done that, done that deal. So maybe it's, it's not necessarily Ed Woodward's, you know, blame for absolutely everything. But the fact is that if United reeled away from doing lots more business, maybe it's because they're thinking, well, actually, is Mourinho the one for us? I was so surprised that they didn't sign out of Ireland in the end. Mm. I mean, I know Spurs are notoriously difficult to deal with simply because they will always drive a price and drive a good deal. And fair enough, that's, that's their prerogative. Um, you, you know, and kudos to, to them to, to generally getting a good price for players. But I was ever so surprised that they, that they didn't get that one done, for example. And I think United have left themselves short. But is that a failing of, of, the, of Ed Woodward? Or is it more of a reflection that, that, that the United you know, club as a whole are not completely convinced that Mourinho is there and the manager that they want to put the faith in for the long term. Yeah. Do you think, Seb, that we're going to see more of these sort of business against football type of stories? You know, being an Arsenal club, you know well, John, you know, you've got Stan Kroenke now mm -hmm. essentially taking it into private ownership. There's a natural um, a disconnect between the two. 
Do you think that's we're going to see more and more the shots being called by the guys who go out and market the football clubs rather than the guys who produce the teams? For sure, for sure. Because I think if um, we if we consider what determines football club ownership now and what the reasons are for owning a team, then absolutely, because that is not a pure sporting motivation anymore. It's a one of the things I might say about Manchester United. It is. <clears throat> I agree completely with John. I think that sort of. A lot of their activity this summer was was um, informed by what they expect to happen next with their manager. I also think it, it reflects that maybe winning the Premier League not so important anymore. I think positioning yourself as a, a kind of as being semi-competitive within a small group of clubs at the top of English football that's very important. Going the extra step as it might have been in the old days, not so much. So I think what you're looking at is maybe certainly with the bigger transfers is not necessarily. Where does this player fit into my team? What problems does he solve within a midfield or a defence or a forward line? But what are we getting from him off the field? What is his appeal? What is his reach? And what does that, for us as a club, allow us to go and do in the off-season or in our marketing department? And how, does, how, do, how, do, how do young fans in this territory and that territory, how do they respond to this player? I think those are the questions that get answered. I don't, I don't suggest that sort of transfer targets are going to be handed down by you know commercial directors, but I think there'll be a sort of a, a ticking process whereby a manager proposes something, a sporting director agrees with him, and then somebody further down the chain puts in a little list about no, yes, no, yes, that kind of situation. I think that will become uh, commonplace in almost every major club in Europe. How do you see things playing out at Arsenal, John? You know, you were there you know, also when they were... You know, pretty comprehensively beaten by Manchester mm. City. Mm. No shame in that. Um, again, it's probably the same question I asked you about United. What was the mood music like at, uh, at the Emirates? Well, <laughs> before the game, it was OK. <laughs> um, and it did seem as if they sort of kind of first 10 minutes or so, you know, the, the fans were fairly enthusiastic. And, you know, by the end, the sort of the groans of last season had returned, to be honest. But I, I, I feel sorry for Unai in, in many ways because... Largely, I mean, it was strange, wasn't it, that basically you spend £20 million on the new German goalkeeper, Lino, and basically who's known for playing out from the back. That's mm. his strength. He's a sort of a modern goalkeeper. That's what that's what you sort of kind of expect, yet you leave him on the bench. And similarly, with Torrieri, you know, the, you know, he, he's allegedly the sort of the answer to Arsenal, all Arsenal's failings for the last 10 years. And again, you sort of he's only a, sort of a second-half substitute. It was hard to work out. But generally... It, he would, you know, Unai Emery has been expected to work with the same players that were not good enough last season. So why sh suddenly should they be good enough this season? I don't think they'll be anywhere near top four Arsenal. I think it'll be a long work in progress. I do think Unai Emery has certainly got, you know, a pedigree of sorts. He's not from the upper band, is he, of European coaches? I know he won three Europa leagues on on the bounce, but that's a certain level. Now, I think his ideal would be to come to Arsenal um, and rebuild this team and take them and establish himself as a, as a sort of a grade A, sort of a super coach, basically. I think that must be his, his dream and goal. But to do that, in my mind, he cannot do that with this current squad. And it will be a long work in progress and it will take more than a year. We know that Arsenal fans are notoriously impatient. Um, Will he get? Will he get that opportunity? Well, by half time yesterday, there was already a, an Emery out hashtag, <laughs> which is absurd. Okay, but I suppose it does beg the question, Seb. The sort of turnaround that John's talking about yeah. takes years. Yeah, two to three years probably. Mm -hmm. Will Emery get that sort of time? 
I hope so. Well, you 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 think that he would, given the way that Arsenal's run. I mean, Arsenal's not a a chop and change kind of football club. I think one of the one of the difficulties is also you know the the the, the technical change which needs to take place, but also the cultural one at Arsenal. Um, Wenger was a a very laissez-faire coach. He he had his ideology and he stuck to it stubbornly, some might say. Whereas Emery is very much a yeah, you know, there's a there's a style attached to him, but he also he's also a pragmatist. There's a lot of video analysis. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of match preparation, which will be very heavy for players who he's inherited. And people have to get used to it. The, these are human beings, and so beyond whatever he does in the transfer market and all the the time lags associated with with that kind of change, the entire fabric of the club is going to be altered. And you, for anyone to think that. Okay, Manchester City, Manchester City, and you know losing two nil to them is actually quite a good result, really. Um, it's going to be messy for a while, and I think you know I, look, we we know what the, the the louder element of the Arsenal fan base is like, but I think they have to be ignored as hard as that's going to be. But you know, for the good of the club, you you got to if you want change, which a lot of them have wanted for quite a long time, then you have to be willing to to accept the conditions which come with that, and the processes mm. which come with that. It was interesting that he, that he had a lot of trust in you know, Gwen Ducey, who's you know, coming from mm. Lorient. Big step, obviously, from mm. League 2 to the Premier League. Um, kept him on at the expense of Jacker. Um, so that shows that he's got some sort of faith in him. But obviously, you've got a 19-year-old kid who's learning on the job there. What about someone at the other end of the spectrum, Aaron Ramsey? Mm. I, well, I think it's a really interesting year for Aaron Ramsey. He's in the final year of his contract. Um, I, I think I, I really like Aaron Ramsey. I think sometimes he gets an awful lot of unfair sort of stick and criticism, maybe sort of the way he plays for Arsenal as compared to the way he plays for, sort of for Wales, particularly the high point, Euro 2016, when he was sort of a free-scoring midfielder. But goal-scoring midfielders are an absolute premium. And to have one that is fairly consistent um, in the Premier League, I think you know Ramsey is worth his weight in gold. He had a particularly poor game, I think, again by his very own sort of high standards against Man City. But it, I just feel that him and his obviously his representatives are pushing for a big deal, and Arsenal must be prepared for the fact that once you hand out Özil uh, an incredible oh, deal, three hundred thousand, yeah, exactly, plus a week, then then basically other players whose value, you know, in terms of, you know, monumental sort of contrib contributions towards the club, like scoring FA Cup winning goals and, you know, sort of playing the sort of a part and getting them, in, you know, for so many years into the top four, like Aaron Ramsey. Well, he'll want to be, you know, paid the same and, and rightly so, because you cannot tell me that sort of down the years that Ramsey has, has had less influence than Meza Ozil. You know, Meza Ozil is a wonderful player I mean, he, again, he can go missing in games, which which are tough. But every player in that dressing room will think, well, well hang on, if he's getting that, I want similar. And Arsenal will, will find it difficult, I think, to, to, to reach that sort of agreement. So it might be that Ramsey runs the contract down. I mean, I'm always critical of British players not wanting to push themselves and go abroad. So maybe he does want, indeed want to sort of kind of broaden his horizons and he'll be an incredibly attractive option for all of Europe's top clubs, if he if he does indeed sort of take it to the nth degree, I still have this feeling that that Ramsey at some point will will sign a big new contract to Arsenal. But I just think that he will want before he does that some kind of 
you know, sense in his own mind that he will be central to Unai Emery's plans. But Emery will find it difficult to, to be successful without Ramsey if Ramsey is playing well and scoring goals from midfield. Mm. So, you know, degree of turbulence in the background at Arsenal. Uh, there at Chelsea yeah. on, on Saturday in the BT Sport game. Um, where do you see Chelsea at the moment, you know, under Sarri? Sarri's talking about, I want at least the next four weeks to work out yeah. my philosophy with this set of players. Um, what will Arsenal come up against at the bridge? Team in transition. I mean, you know, when, when, when Sarri went to Napoli, um, he said to the owner De Laurentiis, it's going to take... I think he said eight or nine games, and we're probably going to lose most of them before we arrive at the point where I feel comfortable that my players have, you know, understood what what I want to do. I I, I don't know. I don't want to read too much into what they did against Huddersfield. Um, Pretty facile, wasn't it? Yeah, and also Huddersfield, Huddersfield Limited. I, I don't mean any disrespect, but they just are. Um, I was at the Community Shield two weeks ago, a week ago, and they were awful. I mean, they're mid- I know Manchester City again, and it's the great. Well, we can't count those games because City is so strong but it was alarming just how easily City were able to cut through them and the defence which he's remodelled he's, he's kind of a, he's abandoned Conte's uh, three centre-backs doesn't look right there are sort of gaps between the centre-halves and the full-backs which are being exploited um, I think yes Arsenal um, have some issues at the moment but they also have an awful lot of pace at the top of the pitch and you put sort of an Aubameyang into one of those channels and Chelsea will have some some difficulties um, I don't know. It feels like a sort of it feels like a little bit of a battle between two of yesterday's teams, which who are who are trying to rebalance themselves and possibly you know ascend to where they were over the next two or three years. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. Um, I'm also. I'm really reticent to, to judge any team under new management for you know within you know anything less than two or three months. You just don't know what they're going to be. And also, he's brought in Jorginho, who's going to be the centerpiece to what he does. He was certainly that at Napoli. And he needs time to develop understanding with players he hasn't played with before. Ross Barkley's starting and he, he's barely played any football over the, year, over the last 18 months. There's just so many different components in there that I, I don't know. And I'm also not sure you know, what Avara Morata's future is. It doesn't seem to suit what, what Sarri's trying to do. He doesn't, he's not mobile enough. And so there are just so many caveats to his work at the moment. So I don't know. Enjoy the game, I guess. But <laughs> don't ask me to write five things about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you, when you look at it, um, you know, we, we've been used to over the last few seasons of the sort of psychodrama of Wenger against Mourinho and, you know, the little the handbags throwing and everything else. Um, do you think the essence of the rivalry between those two clubs is as strong as ever? No, I think it'll be, it'll be watered down now. Because I do think that the basic Wenger is a, w- w- was a massive figurehead within, within English football, and we had certain rivalries, and because he had such a big character, and Arsenal will miss that, and Arsenal will miss certain aspects of that. And the other thing is that they're basically, you know, we love in the media, don't we, to characterise sort of those feuds and rivalries, and it plays into it, and it's brilliant, and it's great. It's a great sideshow, and sometimes it dominates, particularly when sort of kind of you know. Um, Wenger's trying to push Mourinho over in the technical areas. It's, it, is, it is amusing to watch those sort of things. And Emery just doesn't have that same sort of character as yet. He might develop into a sort of a kind of a big character. So let's see. The only thing is, I think that Sari 
it just makes me laugh because he basically he does he's got something special, isn't he? Yeah, and he, sure. he's a big character yeah. and did that sort of kind of he wants to be chain smoking on the touchline. He's desperate <laughs> to be chain smoking on the touchline. It's a right throwback, isn't it? And yeah. kind of you know, modern. He looks scruffy as well, doesn't he? Clothes don't fit properly. So I actually think I'm I'm ready to love this guy. Yeah. I think he's got something special. I mean I've heard from from I mean this isn't sort of kind of Chelsea bias, but basically it's just from actually a couple of other people from within clubs I was talking to the other day and sort of trying to catch up on up on stuff and they just heard whispers out of Chelsea that this guy, some of his sessions already have been so different, so inspirational. They're really kind of that they're they're thinking that actually Chelsea might be in for a bit of a revolution here. The Roman Abramovich dream of late has always been to produce champagne football to go with the trophies. And that revolving managerial door policy is, has delivered trophies. But it might be that Sari, in his own very different way, might produce really entertaining, inspirational football. They will not be dull to watch. I've been quite inspired by the fact that basically first game of the season he puts in Barkley great that's good for English football you know he's made an interesting couple of signings isn't he the goalkeeper and Jorginho as we said I think actually it could be really interesting for Chelsea I'm quite excited by sort of Chelsea's prospects I didn't think they'd finish top four but you know what if Sari can you know make it work quickly who knows I do I do think they've got opportunities yeah. in front John, of them John's talking about champagne football mm. I think in that context essentially we've now got to look at City and Liverpool. Let's look at City first. Um, their strength in depth is frightening, isn't it? It is all but in that midfield position that Fernandinho plays. Because obviously, you know, Guardiola wanted Jorginho over the summer and for obvious reasons. I I mean, I wouldn't say that sort of their, 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 their title defence collapses if he gets an injury because it, you can bring Fabian Delph into there and actually maybe... I mean, it's a little bit tenuous, but possibly also John Stones played with about with that in the Community Shield too. Um, but yeah, you, you add a you add a, a Riyad Mahrez to a, a forward line which already includes Sané and De Bruyne and Silva and other Silva, and yeah, it's just it's unmatched throughout the league. It's uh, very intimidating. Mm, yeah, you talk about the other Silva, you know, uh, uh, Bernard Silva is it, it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? He is, yeah. I didn't, I didn't think he was great yesterday. You know, I thought he had a strange sort of rather subdued first half, but then the goal and the yeah. second half puts puts mm. a different sort of you know light on on his overall performance. But he's definitely got something to bring to the party. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think last season, let's be honest, it wasn't it wasn't a sort of a standout you know year for him. But he you know, can definitely sort of kind of bring something to the party, as as, as I think can Mendy, for example. Yeah. I mean, mm. Mendy was yeah. brilliant yeah. yesterday. He was like, you could watch him and make a, you know, watch a, he could sort of enjoy the game on his own. He's a monster, <laughs> isn't he? He's absolutely fantastic. I thought at Monaco, when, when he was there, he could win games from left-back on his own. We've not really seen that for obvious reasons because of injury. But now, now he's looking fit and sharp again. I'd love to see that because, I mean, I thought he was fantastic yesterday. He, he, at times, it felt like he was playing up front, let alone left back. He was mm. just running the game. Mares gives them a different dimension because he, he's a bit more technical. He's a bit more, you, you know, kind of tactical as well rather than the sort of, you know, raw, blistering pace of Sane, which can rip people apart. So City are coming at it from different angles. Yeah. I actually think that, yes, I... I I find it a little bit surprising that they didn't do something a bit more 
and obviously went for Jorginho and missed out in, in that central midfield area. But they've strengthened elsewhere, and I think they've gone on a whole new level. And I think it's pretty daunting for the rest of the Premier League. Mm. How important is it to look at the sense of style that they represent, and Liverpool do? Um, you know, is that just a, yet another contrast to the way that Man United are doing? <laughs> yeah, it certainly doesn't help, does it? I mean, you, you kind of. Um, I think if you if, if they were a less successful team and they still played like that, but they had more flaws, so maybe they were winning games four three instead of four nil. I think that's the kind of that's the sort of compromise that fans want, especially now and especially given how much it actually costs to get into a stadium. I think um, if you're being sold at Manchester United, a fairly uncompetitive second place and that kind of football that's quite a toxic combination um, and it's very antagonistic for, 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 for season ticket holders and, and match goers um, so yeah I, I think it definitely helps I mean I give a Manchester City's history I think they would they're still very much in the stage happy just to win and I that's completely fair um, but yeah this is a you know th this is an age of ideologues and and you know managers who have definitive visions and who try different things and you know everyone from the people who go to the games to the people that sort of analyze things online they want to see these little tweaks and you know these flourishes within it and, and that yeah makes them more interesting they are as a as a sort of a case study of a champion Manchester City are fascinating they you know the way they play and the way they dominate it's it's a they're very good for the league and they're also a product of a long-term strategy aren't they, they albeit lavishly funded well they, they are and yes it, it is and and sort of um, I, I have a few grievances with the network of clubs that surrounds them, but they are they are a consequence of future planning. So the, the executive structure in the club, the the appointment of Guardiola, the targeting of specific players, and actually, you know, their transfer policy is not. We remember when the Abu Dhabi group um, bought the club, and it was very scattergun. It was like, oh, we'll have a we'll have an Adebayor from there and a Bellamy from over here, and you know, give us a a, a Colatore. And it was okay. You're buying good players, but you're, you, there's no there's no singular vision to any any of that. Now there is, and now when you marry that with a coach of God, it's um, you know pedigree. It's uh, it's just terrifying. Let's <laughs> look <laughs> Liverpool, John. Yeah. Pace, intensity, uh, dynamism. You know whatever adjective you want to come up with. Style matters in Liverpool, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah, yeah. and I also think that that. What is so integral to me and what I love about Liverpool is that basically that Klopp connection with the, with, with the Liverpool fans. He absolutely gets what it's about for them and he gets what it's about for the club. And that is, you know, integral to that, that kind of theory and that sort of objective and the fabric of the club is the style with which they play. And they, they are brilliant to watch. They're absolutely awe-inspiring at times. The way they sort of kind of move the ball, pass the ball. I mean, I love that first goal, for example, against West Ham. That's what Liverpool are about, isn't it? And kind of, you know, moving it from, from the left and comes in and then sort of kind of on the end of a wonderful team flowing move is, you know, is Salah. I mean, he's great. And then Robertson was so involved as well yeah. during the game. You know, it's not just about sort of the big stars and the big signings. It's, it's kind of working and coaching and, and developing those. It was good to see kind of, you know, Alexander Arnold sort of, you know, sort of celebrating with, with, with the goals and be part of it. And it was really, you know, the whole thing sort of kind of comes together. And I think if there's one team that is going to push City this, this year, it's going to be Liverpool. Maybe Liverpool can benefit from the fact that maybe Man City want to win the Champions League and are good enough to win the Champions League. And Liverpool can kind of, you know, benefit from, from the title race. But I think Liverpool are exceptional to watch. Their business this summer has been incredible. 
They've spent so much money, haven't they? Mm. But the, the signings are exciting. The but it's not done on a whim and a prayer, is it? It's, no, it's, it's proper. It's, you know, they're it's prepared proper to wait for their players. Yeah, absolutely. Van Dyke and Cater, and you know his his impact was instant, wasn't it? It's great. It's great. No, there's no. There's no yeah, I'm not going to contest that. He was um, uh, just to add something else to that Liverpool midfield. You know, slightly different, more skillful player. He can go past people. He's he's good off either foot. I mean, it's, it's uh, for the money they spent. It looks brilliant signing. I mean, it's, um, yeah, they 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 look very good. I I would I would add a little asterisk against their defence still. I don't I don't know if it's quite good enough. I, the goalkeeper is certainly better, and that's that's another really good signing. Mm. Uh, those two centre backs, or the pool of centre backs that Klopp has to pick from, uh, I, I think Joe Gomez is a good player, mm. but probably as a member of a back three rather than a two. Uh, I'm not sold on Dejan Lovren, or at least as sold as he is on himself. <laughs> um, and Matip, I don't think is, is is quite good enough. Van Dijk, of course, is is an excellent player, but you're still mm. you're still one short really. So we'll see. I, I think I still expect City to you know to win the title by 10 or 15 points. I'd have thought. I hope not, because I've tipped Liverpool. But there we go. <laughs> Me too. Actually. Me too. And I've, I've tipped Liverpool, and I just think that Man, you know, because of that theory, I actually think that Man City might just win the Champions League. I think it's really hard to win both. Yeah, I think we'll find out a bit more about Liverpool, and they've got a, a run of away games. I think it's yeah. Leicester, Palace, Spurs, and Chelsea are the next four away games. That'll be very interesting. That'll that'll tell us a bit, won't it? Yeah, it will. I, I just think the way that sort of Liverpool set up and sort of entertain under under Klopp means that they will go for it. Basically, they don't go away from home with any kind of pragmatism and sort of, you know, any negative thought. They go out to attack. I think they're the most thrilling, sort of exciting force at times in, in the Premier League. Um, they're great to watch. And I just I find Klopp so, you know, enthusiastic and so infectious, really. I always enjoy watching Liverpool play, particularly, I think, away from home, because sometimes these days, at, you know, at Anfield, you just almost the energy and sort of the yeah. noise from the crowd, you almost expect that home win. But from away from home, they, they still go at it and they can leave themselves open at the back, as Sam rightly yeah. says. The defence isn't great, but that just adds to the drama, doesn't yeah, that, it? Yeah, that's a fair point, actually. It makes them more of a spectacle mm. okay, with that, that little flaw there. Yeah. Yeah. You score three, we'll score yeah, four. Absolutely. And they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spurs. Yeah. No transfer news, good news? No, no, not good news. I mean, it's one of those, it's bad news which can be spun in a different way. I mean, I've, I've heard the arguments over the summer um, and it seems to be sort of, okay, no transfers, but all these intangibles and Pochettino is able to develop this player and you, you look at what he's done with certain members of that squad, like Kieran Trippier or Danny Rose, and you can make a case for saying it's a good thing. But... I think if you're competing in the Premier League, the Champions League and a couple of domestic cups, you need to have some breadth. You need to have some options. If if Harry Kane gets injured, what does that do to this team? If Christian Eriksen, who I think is is probably fundamental to where that team plays, when, when he's missing, they're not as good. It's just that there is no... It's a very binary situation. If you look at the games they lost last season or the games they failed to win, invariably sort of Eriksen's contribution mattered. Um, there are no duplicates for those players. You've also got now, um, sort of, uh, it depends what happens to Danny Rose. He might be loaned out before the end of the window in Europe. We, we don't know, but he looks very undercovered at fullback. The midfield is creaking because Moussa Dembele, fine player that, though he is, is coming towards the end. Victor Wanyama has got some chronic injury issues which he can't seem to get on top of. And Harry Winks, who I, I think is a, a great prospect, he has a reoccurring ankle issue. And so I, I, I think if ever a club needed a sporting director, 
a good sporting director. I know they've got some sort of experience with that in the past. It's Tottenham because it just... Daniel Levy is a very capable man. He's done wonderful things for the football club. He, the you know the, the balance which has been trod between being competitive and building the new stadium is is a, a work of art. He deserves all the credit in the world for that. However, this kind of um, the, the the kind of the the, the ball breaking negotiator thing, ah, I think I, I think it's a little outdated. I just think it looks slightly pedantic sometimes. Instead of the the Jack Grealish transfer could have been done earlier. I mean, it's a bit manipulative, but Villa were having all sorts of financial issues and they had a, um, you know, a, a tax bill which they couldn't afford to pay. And yet there was always, there's always this element that, of, of him having to be the smartest guy in the room. I'm a Tottenham fan, it frustrates me. You know, I'm, I'm, I've taken my journalist's hat off here, clearly. <laughs> but it's this sort of, you know, sometimes, yeah, as John just said about Liverpool, sometimes if you want to develop and you want a player, sometimes you just have to pay the fee. Not every time, and you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't get manipulated in the market. But sometimes it's a necessity, and you can't always expect Pochettino to work a miracle because otherwise, one day he's going to look at what he's achieved and think, you know, with a Real Madrid, Manchester United offer in the background, and think, actually, I probably deserve that. I'd have loved to have achieved something at Tottenham, but maybe there is a glass ceiling here, and maybe, maybe this is as far as I can go. And I, I think he's invited a situation next summer in which. Pochettino maybe considers his options and that as a fan that breaks my heart because he's, he's the best thing to happen to the club in in my lifetime easily mm. um, yeah <laughs> I'm done <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Over, yeah. um, Spurs have got Fulham on Saturday um, you know Slav Djokanovic has already talked about you know the extra speed and quality and power of the Premier League when you look across the board at the three teams that went up what was your initial impression of them at the weekend? Uh, of the three teams, mm. of the, uh, all of them. Um, by the way, I still think that Spurs, despite everything, will finish in the top four. But <laughs> I just don't think they'll kick on. But, but I think that Fulham will have enough to stay up. Um, I think that the transfer business has been so bold and so brave. I mean, some, some of the players are, mm. you know, really excited. I was, you know, talking to someone who was raving to me the other day about the. Argentinian up front, and you know it's got a lot of potential there. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, fantastic sort of technical yeah. player, and sort of if he can fit into English football in that style, that's a really interesting one. Sari, obviously, yeah. um, as well. And then let let's see what what you know Sessegnon and, and Mitrovic can do in in sort of in the Premier League and kind of and and, and sort of. Maybe Mitrovic is something to prove against Newcastle. I just feel that, that Fulham would be okay. Wolves, I saw Wolves, and I thought they were really exciting in, in the, mm. the you know the BT game on Saturday. It, I, I just think that they will be mid-table, and they will. That, that's a brilliant return, by the way, for for a newly promoted team. Mm. Some of their players are, are, are really interesting, really exciting to watch. Neves, in particular, you know, he's going to earn so many plaudits this season. I wish they were playing gold rather than yellow, by the way. I just don't. What's that about? Yes. I just I can't yeah. believe it. It's a very subtle difference, yeah, but it's important. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's I completely agree. Rubbish, yeah, well, right? we go back to the whole thing about the way football's changing. It's not tradition. The, you know, traditions and values are changing, yeah. aren't they? And they're shifting. I just think it's wrong. I just, honestly, I thought uh, I quite like the kit. Well, it's okay as a kit, but it's not gold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it should be gold. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, wolves yeah. are famous for, anyway. But I digress. Yeah. And I am going to break with tradition. And I am going to say that Neil Warnock and Cardiff, I think, can stay up. Neil Warnock has got a, I think, a burning ambition. 
And I do like Neil, and I know Neil, and he's got this burning ambition from deep within to prove people wrong that he can take a team up and stay up. And I think that there will be no more fiercely determined manager in the Premier League across any level than Neil Warnock this season to kind of prove a point and try and keep Cardiff up. Yes, they didn't spend very much. Yes, their squad looks like a championship squad. But if you'd said to anyone at the start of last season that Cardiff would go up, mm. they would have laughed you out of court and said, no chance, no chance whatsoever. We have to accept the fact that the, the, the gap between the Premier League and Championship has narrowed. The Premier League, outside the top six, I would argue, is fairly similar. As long as Cardiff can stay in contention and make their home their fortress, then I actually think they'll have a, a chance of staying up and it will be Neil Warnock's life ambition, I think, to keep them up. And I, I, I wouldn't bat against him yeah. to do it. You you were at Bournemouth to see Cardiff, yeah. Seb. Then you'll totally disagree. Like, do you share his optimism? <laughs> no, no, I, I don't disagree at all. What, what I'll say, they are, they're one of the biggest football teams I've ever seen. They're, I mean, they're, they're Morrison and Bamber at the back, they've got um, uh, another defender, Manga, who plays in the middle with them. They are enormous. I mean, the, the ground shakes when, they, when, <laughs> when, 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 when corners come to the box. They, they're not going to score a lot of goals. I spoke to a Cardiff fan afterwards and he said, just delay judgment until Zahore is fit and available. They've got a very good player in Bobby Reid up front, who's sort of a small diminutive sort. He came from Bristol City. Um, very neat and tidy, but looks very isolated because they are a team set up not to concede rather than to score goals. And they don't have a lot of subtlety. What I will say is, you know, OK, August, September, fine. When it gets a little bit wetter, the winter comes in and they play at home in front of their fans. They're, they're, you're, not, you're not playing through them. I put it that way. They, they are going to be, you know, for, for your for your sort of your, your teams like Huddersfield and you know Palace if they struggle, Fulham, they'll take points off people. I mean, not by big scores, but they will. They are not going to be a doormat for anybody. Um, if they survive, it's going to be a 16th, 17th job. Um, they're not going to be a. They're not going to. They're not going to rocket up the league. They just don't have the capacity. Um, but um, yeah, I, I. I. I mean, look, I came away thinking they're definitely not going to finish 20th, which I had thought when I was on the way to the ground. Mm. So, um, yeah, no, I, 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 I like what I saw. Um, and they made Bournemouth very uncomfortable. Yeah. And you also, uh, you saw Southampton Burnley. Mm. Not such a spectacle that <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. Are they going to be all right? Burnley or Southampton? Or both? Yeah, yeah both really. Uh, Southampton uh, still have issues to cure. Um, they... Uh, they lost Halic, which is a problem because they, they've lost a lot of creativity in advanced positions. Um, Danny Ings is important. He came on yesterday for about half an hour and, and he, he's not quite fit, but he was sprightly and, and they look much better with two forwards at the top of the pitch. And um, Marquis started with this weird 3-5-1-1 with Nathan Redmond playing as a sort of as a 10. It didn't really work. Um, went to a 4-4-2 and it, it, it all looked a bit more productive. Burnley were great. Burnley should have won the game. Um, I know what the associations are with Sean Dyche. Uh, I don't agree with them. And yesterday, like if people actually watch that game back through 90 minutes, they'll see it. They, they, they play with a bit of style too. They're, they're a fundamentally very strong, stable football team who do basics very well. But their little combinations in midfield and attack are actually, are actually quite impressive. And um, they don't look like they'll be anything less than they were last year. Good. Some questions from the, the viewers and listeners. John, start with one from uh, Richard Foster. How long before Aaron Wan-Bissaka 
of Palace, obviously, gets into the England squad? Well, no time at all if we're judging it by recent standards because as soon as you make any sort of impression on the Premier League and you're sort of kind of young and bright and enthusiastic, then Gareth Southgate fast-tracks you into the England squad. And I don't mean that detrimentally, but it's just, it, you know, he had a super game, didn't he, on, on, on the weekend and it was rightly highlighted. Um, and you do think, well, well, actually... But he's got a lot of competition in that particular yeah, area, exactly. is what I'd say. Yeah. So... You know, I think it might take him a, a little while, but he really seemed to have a kind of presence there. He knew his position incredibly well. He really, I thought, limited Fulham down that down their left hand side by playing that 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 sort of role far, you know, far advanced beyond his beyond his years. So I'm sure he'll probably, you know, if injuries sort of maybe take their toll, but I think he might have to to wait some time because. I do think England are quite well sourced in that particular role just at the moment, but one for the future for sure. Yeah. Uh, Paul McAwenny, uh Seb, I wonder if you think that the tactical approach which Pellegrini adopted at Anfield, which was widely uh, seen as suicidal, uh, is a bad sign for West Ham fans. Uh, I don't think... I, I have quite a few negative opinions about what West Ham has done this summer. I don't think Pellegrini is part of that. I think they have again, try to run before they can walk. They've signed famous players who will have no resale value. They, I mean, the Yarmolenko transfer is craziness. I mean, he's he sort of, you know, how, how anyone could watch him last season and think this is a player I want to pay a massive basic wage to in nearly 20 million pounds. Bizarre. Um, I don't know. Uh, Pellegrini, I don't feel like I, I don't know about you two, I don't feel like I learned a lot about him from his time at Manchester City. He won the league. Um, and he harnessed the merits of a group of very good players. And congratulations! Didn't, didn't leave a footprint, did he? Didn't leave any sort of, you know, yeah, exactly. Footprint is exactly how I put it. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think he was very bold, but I, I think also West Ham are very top heavy. All their strength lies in the top of the formation. So what choice does he really have? You, you can't, you can't sit deep with that group of players. Um, I thought also well, one thing I say. I, I thought he hung Declan Rice out to dry a little bit yesterday. Um, I think he's a centre half and, and potentially a really good one. He's not not holding midfielder, um, and that was especially not holding midfielder if he's got Mark Noble and Jack Wilshere alongside him. That's I don't didn't that was kind of no win. It's a hospital pass of a selection that um, I don't know. I, I I think West Ham will do be down in the the murky parts of the table coming in the season. Right, and last the one uh, from James Mulrennan. Um is Emery going to have to abandon his favoured high pressing game? to suit Arsenal's current players. He gives the example, intense running and closing down is not a natural trait of Ozil and, and Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang. And he also makes, the, I think, a very valid point that Socrates and Mustafi back pace in defence. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. And I also think it's the, it's the second part of that question that worries me more as I look at it, because I think it was... You know, from what I hear in training, it's much more, you know, prevalent that basically they play this incredibly high defensive line, which obviously, you know, fits into the into the high pressing. Of course, it does. But that playing that high line with a defence that has got two slow centre halves. I thought Socrates was was better than Mustafi mm -hmm. against Man City, and you do, of course, 
We started the game with two quick fullbacks in Bellerin and Maitland-Niles. Maitland-Niles is certainly no left back, but he, you know, he's willing and he's sort of trying to. He's a good footballer. He's a player, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. but he's in midfield. Yeah, isn't he? of course. You know, yeah. But you know, he's willing to do that, and I thought that the fact that he sort of kind of you know matched Walker. You know, in a foot race, and basically, you know, kept up with him was, you know, was, was says much about his pace. But look, the, that style of play is just not going to work for those players, and that they will get undone. Similarly, I think that Czech had a really good ga- game yesterday as a goalkeeper, but he ca- can he play out from the back? Well, no, and you can't expect him to change a lifetime's habits like that. So I do think those are the issues that I think Emery's got to look at and say, look. I might actually have to sacrifice some of my principles here to work with the squad, you know, that, that I have to make this work to some degree this season. Right, we're going to end with a, a proper tin helmet question. Oh, goodness, OK. Uh, Stefan Adams, is the Premier League better off without Jose Mourinho? All right, then. As a... Uh, I think United can do better than Jose Mourinho. I really do. You know, it's not a great fit uh, for me at the moment. United, we associate them with great flowing football trophies, and Mourinho is a sulking sourpuss at the moment. Let's see whether he can win, win a trophy or two. But I just, I've, my impression is that it's going to end in tears before too long, and I think that's a shame. But as a journalist, wearing my journalist hat, <laughs> I will really miss him because he is still. Such a big character, and they you know, things that he says are back page explosive gold at times. And I just think, I what I miss is the, is the Jose Mourinho in his first incarnation. Yeah. He was he could be brilliant fun and he could be really entertaining, and his team sometimes entertained and won trophies. But what I don't like is the Mourinho of now, and I guess Mourinho would say, Well, you know, people outside, outside influences are making me sulky and unhappy, but. I miss the Jose of old, and I certainly don't enjoy the, the Mourinho of now. Is All that... of what John said. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that. I, I, um, I, I, he, he makes me like football less just through his presence. Uh, so it's a, it's a terrible realization because he was when when he first came, he had so much charisma. And you know he he was mischievous, and you know the eyebrows were up instead of down all the time. And it, I just I'm, I'm, I'm just I, I'm bored of the sound of his voice. Well, I can't see him lasting anyway. Uh, Read the signs and the long goodbye is underway. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.